A proof text is when you decide what you want to teach and you go fishing in the Bible for evidence that you're right. <laughs> That's the wrong way to come at the scriptures. We want to make sure we're taking things in context so that we really understand what Jesus is saying because after all, it's his sermon, not mine. <laughs> and I want to reinforce what he's trying to teach and help explain it better. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou I want to add to what Michael just said about it's so good to look out and see people. You, I never imagined that saying words like, please be seated, would give me an adrenaline rush. <laughs> Uh, just, just wonderful to be gathered together again around the Lord's Word. Um, you know, the, the Lutheran tradition tends to work off of what's called a lectionary. A lectionary is an organization of the scripture readings. Um, they're loosely organized around three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is sprinkled throughout all three years. And each year you get a focus on one particular Gospel, and then the other readings of that Sunday are organized around the Gospel reading to help you see Christ in the Old Testament, to help you understand the consistency of God's teaching from Old Covenant to New or something like that. Um, but there's a weakness to that tradition. As strong as the tradition is, and it is strong, because it keeps the pastor from preaching on his hot topics and avoiding the other parts of the Bible he's not so familiar with. Um, a pastor might want to preach a 31-week you know, sermon series on this, that, or the other thing. And we have the freedom to do that, but the lectionary keeps us honest and keeps us attending to the whole of Scripture. And theoretically, if you came to a church every Sunday and especially if you mix in the midweek services, over the course of three years, you'll get almost all of the Bible. You will miss some of the census data from the Old Testament, so I leave you, that to you to turn to numbers if you want to read how many head of goats different people had and stuff like that. But the stuff that's still relevant for us, you're going you're gonna to get in here. But the weakness of the tradition is that it, because it breaks the Scripture up into small pieces, we never get anything in context. You may get the whole Sermon on the Mount during this is the year of Matthew. Um, and so you might get the whole Sermon on the Mount, but not end to end. Not so you can see its development and flow. And this is a sermon. I, when I write a sermon, I have an idea in my mind of where the Lord seems to be leading me. And there's a, a build-up and a central point of what I want to make a hold of. And then a sort of letdown at the end. There's an arc to what I'm teaching. And there is also that in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But if we're only dealing with it in isolated pieces, we're going to miss what that is. We're going to miss the context of what Jesus is saying. And so we're likely to misread and misinterpret parts of his teaching. Now, I've said it a million times, and I'm going to keep saying it, not because I think you're stupid, but because we all need to be reminded of this. That a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. 
A proof text is when you decide what you want to teach and you go fishing in the Bible for evidence that you're right. <laughs> That's the wrong way to come at the scriptures. We want to make sure we're taking things in context so that we really understand what Jesus is saying because after all, it's his sermon, not mine. <laughs> and I want to reinforce what he's trying to teach and help explain it better. So you noticed, I said we're doing a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount during this Pentecost season where we focus on Jesus' teachings anyway. You notice that we didn't actually get to the Sermon on the Mount this morning? This is all the setup. And I want to pay attention to the setup because it teaches us why Jesus taught and preached what he taught and preached at that moment. So we're going to dig into the scriptures a little bit together here. Um, as I said, this is kind of a setup sermon. Jesus begins his ministry, where our text picks up from today, is right after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. The last verse that would have been read right before you heard about Jesus hearing about John being imprisoned is this. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So Jesus has just faced this smackdown in the desert between him and the devil. He's emerged victorious, the angels are ministering to him, and he hears that John, his cousin, has been thrown into jail. The one who baptized him in the River Jordan. And at that moment, he was driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness to have that face off with the Satan. We hear that his uh, going, coming from where he was to begin preaching is a fulfillment of words for prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. And then Jesus says his first word of his public ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The best rule I ever learned for um, interpreting the Bible is slow way down because we are so used to hearing these words and we have been conditioned by 2,000 years of Christian history and people using these words, the language you even inherit, came from other people interpreting these words that we can think we know what we're reading before we even do. Amazing. I, I, was a, I started as a literature major. I didn't come to faith till I was 25. It was amazing for me to find out that phrases like, he'll give you the shirt off his back, came out of the Bible. That Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass was a quote. But his, the title of that book was taken from the prophet Isaiah who said, all flesh is grass. So that leaves of grass meant his, his leaves of poetry written by him who was grass. All that stuff just, I had no context for any of it, but I'd heard all these phrases. I want to slow this one down. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the word repent means, it's metanoia in the Greek, if you are a Greek geek. Um, I didn't think I'd be able to get that out. I was sure I'd say Greek Greek or geek geek, but I got it out. If you're a Greek geek, repent means to turn around, to reorient yourself. All of us are fixed and focused on something in our lives. All of us have something we think will, is a good guiding principle for our lives. And we wrap our daily energies around that thing, whatever it is. Jesus is saying, whatever your orientation, whatever is your true north, your north star, 
that your compass for your life is pointing at and how are you steering your ship? He's saying, turn around from whatever it is, face me. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that phrase, at hand, is another one that goes by a little too fast because the early Christians thought Jesus was coming again tomorrow. This is why in the church, the letter to the Philippians, Paul has to reassure them that those who have died in Christ are not in fact lost because they thought Jesus was coming the next day, maybe the next week, maybe the next month, but very soon. After 2,000 years of waiting, we've gotten used to waiting. And so when we hear somebody say, this is at hand, we think it means it's almost here. It'll be here soon. The 10 o'clock train is at hand. But no. Jesus is saying, when Jesus says, it is at hand, it means you can reach out and touch it. It's at your hand. He's talking about himself. The kingdom of heaven is right here in front of you. The one who was, was foretold that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us, is the one speaking. And those who heard his preaching could reach out and touch him. He's drawing the attention toward himself. And he will keep the attention focused on himself right up through his crucifixion, his death for our salvation, and his resurrection. Christianity is irreducibly about the person of Jesus Christ. Which is why some people leave the faith. They'd like to have Jesus' teachings without Jesus himself. And Jesus never, ever gives us that option. So Jesus is drawing attention to himself as he begins his public ministry. And then he begins to gather his first disciples. Peter and Andrew, James and John. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now that word immediately, um, if you've got a Bible with you, circle it. Because that's a, a word in Greek, euthus, that the gospel writers used to indicate a connection between what just happened a second ago and what's happening now. So whenever you see the word immediately and you're doing your Bible study or your Bible reading at home, know that that's meant to show immediate connection. That immediately is meant to show connection. Jesus calls them, they follow. My, uh, my in-laws did youth ministry back in the 60s and uh, they used to have a, a book floating around their, their house and it said, what are we going to do with all these rotting fish? Because that's what was left. They had brought in all the fish for the day and Jesus said, follow me, and they did. And all the fish were left to rot. <laughs> When presented with the kingdom of heaven in the person of Christ himself, they gave up everything else they were doing and followed him, followed his command. Jesus will later tell the story of having a valuable jewel in a field and giving up everything to buy that field. His disciples are already showing us what that looks like. And here's the part that is interesting for me as a guy um, who used to do a lot of fishing, as you all found out a couple months ago. Um, when he says to them, I'll make you fishers of men, he doesn't start a class on how to fish. 
There's no evangelism 101. There's no, here's how you're, we're going to share the kingdom of heaven with one another. Um, he just says, let's go. And what are we told next? He goes throughout all of Galilee. Teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all those sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. I used to be in a fishing club. We would gather in the clubhouse on Wednesday nights. And we would break out our fishing boxes and we'd share our favorite lures with one another and we'd talk about the best spots to go fishing around the area and, and then we would all have a cup of coffee and go home. Jesus says, We're gonna, I'm going to make you fish as a man and he takes some fishing. When I was a kid and my dad wanted to take me fishing for the first time, he took little beef pits of hot dog and put them on a small hook and taught me to throw them into the water so that the sunnies would grab them. I was addicted instantly because sunfish are not the most discriminating eaters. I think we pulled in 50 the first day. That's instant gratification. That's exactly what Jesus did with these people. And, and what did he do in addition to preaching and teaching? That's where it starts. It starts with his preaching and teaching. But then he's healing. He's casting out demons. He is doing things that people only reasonably expect by the power of God. Because he is God himself in the flesh. And then, and then, he leads them up a hillside. And he sits down. That's a very, very significant thing that we were tend to miss as modern people. My, my children are geeks because, well, they were raised by me and my wife. And um, they, they know it. They own that at this point. My, my children both had their birthdays this week, and they both got shirts which said it's an otaku thing you wouldn't understand. Otaku is Japanese for geek. And, of course, they had to have it in Japanese because they're geeks. So they're okay. They're okay with this. They've, they've decided to own it. And... Um, what happens in the ancient, with my kids, is that when we go to Disney World and we ride through Spaceship Earth, every time we get to the, play, the part of this ride, which is all about communication throughout the ages, if you've never ridden it, and um, you go through a place and you're seeing the ancient Greek schools. And what they have is a preacher or a teacher standing there and talking, just like I'm talking to you, and his students gathered at his feet. And because my children are geeks, they know that's wrong. In the ancient world, if you came to a teacher, the teacher sat down, and you got to stand for the lecture. <laughs> In fact, they were called the peripatetic schools. Peripateo is a Greek word which means walking around. So you as the student would walk around while the teacher sat and taught. So Jesus, by sitting down on this hillside, not only is he giving himself a commanding place where they're all looking up at him and everyone can see him at the same time, but they are, he is communicating to them, he is about to teach something important and authoritative. All these people who've received already, and we're not given any detail, all the detailed healings and miraculous things come later in the gospel. But all these people who've experienced so much already of God's power at his hand 
are now gathered around him. And he begins to teach. Now here's where our expectations of what he's about to teach can foil our ability to hear him clearly. I went to a very liberal seminary based on the, a, a thesis about uh, a thing called quelle or Q, which is source material for um, the three synoptic gospels. They taught that the Sermon on the Mount was basically a loose collection of Jesus' sayings, not really interconnected. And so for years, that's how I read it. Just a series of nice sayings, kind of like Proverbs, so a bunch of one-liners that were strung end to end. That not only doesn't make sense of Jesus' ability to preach and teach, it doesn't make even sense of Matthew's ability as a writer to put a coherent story together. So that's not what's going on here. Other conservative commentators will talk about the fact that because it's happening on a mountain, this is a parallel to what happened in the book of Exodus at Sinai, and Jesus is handing down a new law. That will foil our ability to understand the first part of the sermon. Jesus does have some rules he's going to lay down or some, some directives to give, but we're not going to understand the blessings correctly, correctly that we're going to tackle next week unless we understand that this is not just Jesus giving a new law. In fact, even the covenant at Sinai wasn't God just giving a new law. The first words God speaks at Sinai are not do this. You all know your first commandment, right? It's, it's the commandment against idolatry. But it begins like this. I am the Lord your God. Then he goes on and says what to do with that information. But God begins by proclaiming who he is. In the same way, Jesus has made himself central to what is happening in this scene. He's drawn all eyes to himself. And he is now speaking because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is going to begin his sermon with those words we hear every year as Lutherans, on the first Sunday in November, All Saints Sunday, blessed are. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. And on and on. We'll do that next week. But here's what I want to draw your attention to. He opened his mouth and taught them, just as God opened his mouth and spoke the Ten Commandments. But Jesus is doing more than giving a new set of laws. He's doing more than stringing a bunch of nice ideas together. There's going to be an overarching theme to what he's doing, and he's already telegraphed it to us in his opening line. The opening line of his public ministry, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all that he is about to say to them is not just directions on how to live as a good kingdom person, Rather, it's the proclamation that the long-awaited kingdom is now in their laps. It's right there for them to touch in the person of himself. Should it be any wonder that he would later say, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them? Jesus is communicating that he is the kingdom of God. Come to us. And now, now, 
Now we have the opportunity to receive directly from God that which had formerly been mediated through prophets. God's very word. God's precious, precious promises. And God's very presence. And the promise is this. Have you noticed Jesus didn't say, if you do this, the kingdom will come. If we do this, we can speed the kingdom along. It's turn from whatever else you, your, your motivates you. Whatever else you've wrapped your life around, turn from that and turn to me because I'm here. Hold on to me. Because I have already chosen to come to you. God in his mercy has given himself to us and for us in the person of Jesus. Today is the day when we celebrate what are called the Cappadocian Fathers. Um, last week we, was Holy Trinity Sunday and it would have been more appropriate if they'd lined up. But June 14th we remember Basil, Gregory, and Gregory of Nazianzus. It was the work of these three theologians focused upon the person of Jesus Christ who gave us the language we have for the Trinity. Essentially gave us the Nicene Creed, although that came out of a committee. I remember a couple of years ago I was teaching a class on, on the Nicene Creed and I think it was Eugene who said, boy, they, they lengthened that thing out. It must have come out of committee. <laughs> Focusing on Jesus gives us all we need and that is pure pure gospel, pure gift of God. Not if you do this, then I'll do that. But rather, I have done this. Now. Now you get to do that. And Jesus will begin to reveal in his sermon, which is going to cover the next two and a half chapters of your Bible, what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. That is the privilege we have who have received from him the forgiveness of our sins, who have received from him healing of mind, body, and spirit, who have received from him all that we could possibly need for this life or the next, just as did those early followers who gathered around him to hear these words. Let us now attend to what he has to say, Focusing always, not on our behavior first and foremost, but on His gracious goodness in coming to us. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, it is so shocking, so surprising that you should reveal yourself to us it's just shocking enough that you should do it in thunderclaps and lightning bolts on Mount Sinai or through the words of humble prophets or powerful prophets, but that you should come in the flesh, that the kingdom of heaven could be grasped and held as we grasp and hold you, as we hope soon to grasp and hold one another when this social distancing is over. That gift, Lord, is something so totally unexpected we don't even know what to do with it. Help us to, help us to grasp again 
the awe which those first hearers must have felt hearing Jesus' words, watching his miracles, listening to him preach with great authority, showing to us the face of the Father in his own, in his own beatific face. Help us to focus on him, O Lord, especially in the midst of the troubles that are besetting our world so that we may know how to act as his kingdom people, that we may bring a touch of his light and love to the difficulties that beset us, that we may hold on to his promises of eternal life and most especially the promise that it is he himself who is God and suffers with us when we suffer and lifts us above suffering and triumph in the end. These things we ask through him who is our Lord and our Savior and our great preacher of truth, Jesus Christ. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the Keep your sleeping, my presence, my life.